Welcome to the latest in our Innovation and Energy podcast series. I'm delighted to be joined in the virtual studio today by Katie Jackson, Executive Vice President, Acquisition and Divestment and New Business Development at Shell, and also Chair of Powerful Women. And by PwC's Vicky Parker, Energy Utility Resources Strategy Lead and UK Power and Utilities Lead. I think it's fair to say that the energy sector currently faces unprecedented times. Since the beginning of the Ukraine war, we've seen a fragile equilibrium where the system has, to a large extent, coped with the stress caused by the war. The immediate pressures are, however, having significant implications short term, particularly with respect to the cost of living, but also with respect to the cost of doing business. And this makes the pathway to decarbonisation all the more complex. Katie, perhaps we could start with you. Do you think the current market volatility acts as an incentive to increase investment in sustainable energy? Thanks, Liz, and thank you uh, for having me. I think uh, you, you did comment on the the, the challenges um, that the current market situation creates, and I think they are um, not to be uh, not to be taken lightly. Um, but I think it's not so much the market volatility as really the the high prices and of course the the huge concerns about energy security um, at the moment. Um, And I think one of the consequences that we we are seeing um, from both of those uh, factors is more alignment uh, among uh, both governments, but also I think society um, that change uh, is needed to reach net zero. So if I were to try and draw a positive from what is currently a very difficult situation, I think, we do see some more robust policies um, coming about, um, which will also, I think, support that increased investment in, in sustainable energy. Um, so I think things like uh, Repower EU or uh, the Inflation Reduction Act that we've just seen um, pass in the US are indications that maybe the policy environment is going to support that investment. Um, but I think what we're really seeing at the moment is the impact of abrupt change. So. Um, a, a big change to supply whilst um, demand particularly uh, remains robust. Um, so we're seeing some demand reduction um, as Europe switches from Russian gas, uh, which probably is, you know, is demand reduction is one of the the, the features of of, uh, of pushing investment into into new forms of, of energy. But I think we're also seeing a step up in in coal. Uh, which is, of course, I think not not something that's moving us in the right right direction, um, and the impact from a societal perspective of of energy affordability um, is huge. So that that abrupt change, I think, is 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 very difficult um, to cope with. So my 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 view is ultimately that these this picture will lead to an acceleration of the transition, but uh, but in a bit of a in a in a you know it's it's a painful process. Thank you. Um, I, I think I, I would agree that there's there's definitely going to be a sort of a short term period of, um, of of transition before hopefully we see that acceleration towards the decarbonisation. Vicky, it'd be great to get your views as well on that, please. Thank you, Liz, and thank you, Katie. Um, it's really interesting. I think the word abrupt is probably the most um, pressing or sort of telling word that you've just used and how you just described that. Transition was always going to be difficult, um, you know, to transform the way energy has been produced, uh, used and consumed was never going to be an easy task. And I think what 
the current situation in Ukraine has done has shone a spotlight on transition is not easy. And to some extent, that word abrupt is helpful because I think it just condensed a lot of activity that we thought would spread over a number of years into a very short period of time. I do concur. I think it's on the positive, as you said, I think it has highlighted the fragility of the system, but also the need to create long-term resilience across all of our energy markets with a greater focus on renewables and other sources of technology that are very much in their infancy at the moment, but are obviously having support such as hydrogen, uh, CCOS, uh, small modular reactors and other forms of renewables that are being considered. So I think going forward, I think consensus around how and the pace of change is yet to be seen. But I do think there's much more consumer focus and business focus now on the real need to support the transition to the long term. And perhaps recognising that the um, the end state for net zero must be a fixed point. How do you think the recent events and an increased focus on energy resilience and security will inform and potentially shape that pathway to achieve net zero? Um, perhaps Vicky, starting with you. I, I think on net zero, I think it's helpful to remember that the end state in most countries is fixed. So I think being very clear on the uh, where we are trying to get to has consensus and had consensus for quite a long period of time. Obviously, there are some, some variations of that in specific markets. So I think it's really the pathway to get there. And for a large part, that pathway has, has been, I suppose, not well developed. And I think what the current situation is doing is forcing much more clarity on what the steps are to get us from A to B. So really looking in detail at both the supply side around what are the new types of uh, energy sources that we need to bring into the market, but also recognizing that we need to have transition fuels. So hydrocarbons still play an important part in transition overall. And then looking also at the consumer side, so on the demand side, and the business side, how does that contribute around energy efficiency, different ways of using energy, and much more focus, I think, on a whole system approach rather than just trying to break down, as we have historically done, looking at the supply, looking at the bit in the middle, and then looking at demand, which I think is to be welcomed. So, so I would um, agree with 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 that. I think um, the broader question uh, that you asked, Liz, is very much the kind of um, the question that 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 uh, all of the energy industry players, I think, are, are trying to grapple with. And I'm sure there's a huge amount of of modelling um, and scenario planning going on in 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 both government and and companies. I think the only the additional perspectives I'd I'd give, I think, you know, it it is quite a regionally specific question um, and I think obviously the focus is uh, a lot on Europe at the moment and about how Europe will replace um, gas that was that was you know previously um, imported uh, from Russia and of course you know we're spending uh, and I'm sure uh, many are spending a lot of time looking at what uh, what options there are to, uh, to 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 replace that gas and also you see come countries like Germany, for example, leaning on some of the short term options like uh, coal and, and extending the life of, of, of nuclear. Um, but I, th I think that that also um, there's and and we were talking previously about um, uh, improved incentivization um, and I think a huge focus on accelerated build out of, of, of renewables, but also, um, as Vicky was saying, 
some of the, the newer technologies in the low carbon fuel, CCS, and blue and green hydrogen um, space, and of course, batteries to improve, improve um, storage uh, capability. Um, but I think we shouldn't gloss over the fact that fundamentally, you know, it's a huge amount of investment uh, that's needed. And that, that whilst the pace, I think, is increasing, we're, we're already somewhat late. Um, so I think the IEA talks about sort of four trillion per annum uh, range um, in terms of the investment needed. And of course, the other factors that that I see as very relevant right now are the inflationary and supply chain um, pressures, um, which I think are challenges that uh, that that we face on on multiple fronts. So so I think we, we really need to um, to uh, think about to have the sort of regulatory and government um, sort of structure in place um, to help companies navigate this challenging um, landscape and help um, develop um, innovative and sort of new business models to, to meet some of the challenges. Yeah, Katie, I think that's really interesting. I think picking up on a couple of your points there also, um, I, I think it is really important as we go into this new phase and people talk about acceleration of renewables that some of those more practical elements are really looked into in more detail as you said you know the supply chain as we all know is challenging um, and has a material impact on how to accelerate out development of some technologies particularly offshore wind secondly some of the planning challenges and considerations around that um, and then how does the finance end up in the right place to match ultimately those projects and then I think second, I, I echo your view around the markets are very different at the moment. And it's very easy, I think, at the moment to have a sort of one size fits all mentality. Whereas what we see in the US is markedly different, as you said, to what we're seeing in Europe. And Europe is somewhat compounded at the moment by the effect of, you know, in France, for example, the, the shutdown for maintenance of many of the nuclear reactors. And so therefore solutions, I think, Yes, we can have a global approach, but we need to be very targeted to make sure that that intervention is focused on the areas to drive material change going forward. I think it's um, it's fascinating. You've both touched on the need for investment and also um, around new technologies. Um, and there's clearly a need for a, um, a very diverse capability set for energy companies as they start to position themselves towards this low carbon world. And that diversity of skills is going to be a critical element that feeds into the, the energy transition. Um, so perhaps looking more broadly at the energy sector, um, do we have the right balance of diversity, and I mean diversity then in its broadest sense, um, to help navigate the energy transition? So maybe if I, I jump in um, here, because I think that's something I feel particularly passionately about. Um, I recently took on uh, the chair role at, at Powerful Women, and, and that's um, because... Um, you know, as a woman who spent her whole career in energy, I, I don't think we are making enough um, progress in the space. I mean, I think if you sort of distill it down, we're basically, we have a, a sort of triple crisis at the moment, energy security, energy affordability, and then I think, you know, the longer term challenge of, of climate change. And all of those things require um, the absolute best talent available to make sure we've got the right leadership, to make sure we've we've got the the innovation um, and also I think to make sure that we actually understand customers which I think has has been a skill that's been a bit more siloized in our industry historically um, so diversity of thought skills experience are are, are crucial um, and I think those are, are things that our capabilities 
um, that we will need to have a successful transition to net zero and to make the industry more modern and more digital and more sort of consumer focused. Powerful Women tries to shine a bit of a light on diversity um, and particularly gender diversity, um, which in, in some ways is the easiest to measure. And I think one of the things that I think Powerful Women does together with uh, Europe PwC very well is measuring. Um, and so when we look at uh, the data that we publish annually about um, the representation of women specifically across the UK energy sector, um, and that's looking at you know the top 80 companies that represent uh, I think about 140,000 jobs, which is about 80% of the sector. So it's it's a big it's a big slice of what we're talking about. I think when we look at the leadership of the, of the sector, women occupy about 15% of the executive director roles and about 27% of all board roles. So it is still a a relatively modest fraction. And I think maybe maybe more almost as importantly, the pace of change is very slow. And I think that's a bit of a proxy for the pace of change of um, of change out in our in our broader workforce. So I think it is an issue we need to take take pretty seriously. Thank you, Katie. Yes. Also, having worked in the sector for a very long time, it's frustrating. I think that it's not changing fast enough. There's been calls for years and years and years on it. And I think to some extent that starts all the way back down to school to school age, encouraging um, people to join the sector. But also I think that links through to providing that security over long-term career path. And we talk quite heavily about that in our uh, PwC Green Jobs Barometer that we published recently. It, it, it's been a difficult sector, I think, for people to have that confidence that there will be that long-term ability to invest, build a career and continue to grow. I think the world's moved on from that now. And I think that you know we can now articulate what those pathways look like for people. I think the second point, as you as you said around customer, you know, transition requires a whole different array of skills, many of which we haven't used as much in the energy sector. You know, we may have more found them in technology or potentially in some of the automotive sector or in the retail and consumer sector. So I think for our sector going forward, it's also about recognizing that and attracting talent, not only from those who've got that affinity or have worked in energy, but also really embracing that talent to bring people inside into, you know, into our sector where they haven't naturally operated before to show those crossovers, but also bring that diversity of thought around how do you engage and deliver on the energy transition. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a, an interesting dynamic, isn't it, as we bring together completely different skills that, from those that have historically been used by the energy sector. We've got, you know, sort of digital software programming, climate change experts, all of that. That I think, um, Vicky, you referenced the PwC Green Jobs Barometer, and some of that was highlighted in there, I think. So that, uh, that transition um, and how we integrate those skills will be, will be quite quite fascinating um but perhaps you could talk a bit more about how do you think employers might might attract and retain talent particularly across that diversity of skill sets what are, what are the key levers that they can pull so i think you're right vicky in terms of what you were saying about how the current crisis is maybe shining a bit of a light on the kind of importance of the energy industry the importance 
of the industry in its current form, but of also of the kind of longevity of the industry in terms of the future forms. And and I have to say, I worry, or or maybe I, I find it concerning a little bit that that as an industry we haven't been able to be a bigger sort of beacon for talent because I think we do offer really purposeful careers um, where, and I've always felt you know very motivated that fundamentally we're providing something so essential for people's lives but also that longevity is there as the, as the industry transitions um so i i hope that indeed this does shine a little a bit of a light on on the importance of the industry and and helps to attract more talent i i also think that so i i very much agree we will need to pull on new skill new skill sets and i think the diversity of thought that you mentioned also and that need for kind of innovation and fresh thinking is is crucial I also think, though, that we have um, a lot of capabilities in the industry that can also be migrated. And I think that was a, a piece that your Green Jobs Barometer also pointed out. Um, so I think it is, in a way, a time of opportunity to both migrate the skill sets that we do have in the industry, but also to be better at articulating our value proposition as we attempt to sort of attract capabilities from other spaces, In indeed, things like the digital space, but but also, I think, manufacturing and, and other the sort of broadly um, digital kind of tech type um, spaces. Um, so I do, I do think we need to be better at communicating the value pro- proposition and the kind of longevity of that as well. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, I, I think two things on that. I think one, and it's been really interesting seeing the back of the Ukraine-Russian crisis has been increased focus on purpose. And I think we often find at the moment it sort of pervades everything we do is that is that sense of purpose. And I think communicating that to um, both, uh, you rightly said, the existing workforce, but also new people looking to potentially move into the sector is key. I don't think, um, you know, that's why I do what I do. I don't think there's a stronger purpose at the moment we can have in terms of our role, in terms of helping deliver against the energy transition. And I think that is an incredibly powerful and enduring message, uh, not only for us day to day, but also, you know, those that we're working with and, and supporting coming into the sector. I think second, it, you you made a really good point around it's not just attracting new talent, it's supporting the existing talent in the sector, which is huge. I mean, we have the most amazing brains, I think, that have worked, um, you know, in terms of EMP on some of the nuclear fleet, um, in terms of storage, LNG, you know, just across the sector. And many of the you know, new technologies or new things that are moving into energy transition are very similar in terms of the skills and capabilities that they require. You know, a high degree of focus on safety and standards, a huge amount of focus on research and development. A lot, you know, if you think about the trading capabilities, particularly around gas and power, there's just this wealth of expertise that sits in our market already and equipping them and supporting them to transition in the right way is an absolutely critical part of this and supporting those that may be new to the sector and equipping them with an understanding of how what can be at times a fairly quirky industry works is a really important part of that as well. Yeah, it certainly sounds like there's um there's a wealth of talent um that that we already have to to draw on, and I, I particularly liked your your both your sentiments, but yours, um, Katie, around migrating some of that and 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 how we might how we might look at that talent differently. So perhaps finally, um, it would be great to get both of you um, to give me your three key areas of critical focus for energy businesses over the coming months. How can those businesses really drive change and make real progress? Um, Perhaps Katie, starting with you. 
Yeah, so I think as a as a first point, I think um, it is really important um, that as as companies we um, outline um, our plans uh, to get to net zero um, uh, and set set ourselves um, targets for for getting there. And I think um, that is that is crucial, and that's um, certainly something where I, I feel at, at, at Shell we have. Um, Done a good job of of of, of showing how we plan um, to to contribute. Um, I think second to that then is is delivering on the proof points um, in the short term, um, both to 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 our customers, um, to consumers, and also to our our investors um, to show that we can um, both deliver on those targets, but also whilst uh, also maintain. Um, robust business models um, that support um, our overall uh, framework as as a company, um, and I think that that is the thing that um, that um, that we're very very focused on. And and finally, um, to the discussion we just had, I, I think making sure that we attract and retain um, the best talent to make sure that we have the depth um, and the diversity. Um, that we need to to have the very best um, best thinking uh, um, and the very best um, innovation uh, is is a another piece that will sort of underline. Thank you, and Vicky, be great to get get your thoughts as well. Yeah, thank you, Liz. Thank you, Katie. I think building on your point one there, Katie, I think it links back to what I was saying around purpose. And I think you know Shell's been very clear in articulating that in terms of your powering progress, but also through your scenarios, which I think paint a helpful picture of, of options in terms of how we see things playing out. But but I think when we come back to talking around what people want, both in terms of those that work in the organizations, but those looking to join. I think people really do want that clarity of purpose. And I think a key way of doing that, as you rightly said, is through that plans and being able to articulate that. Linked to that, my, my, my second point would really be communication. And this has been a real step change for me, I suppose, um, the way I've seen the market change, particularly how the investor community now is much more active probably than we've ever seen it, and really demanding and interrogating and wanting more detail on what companies are doing, how it's delivering value, uh, what those choices are, how capital is being deployed, for example. And that then also transcends into how that then flows through into what the employees are hearing. Um, I suppose the whole wrap around stakeholder engagement has fundamentally changed. And I think we'll continue to receive uh, further pressure as regulation changes and more of that reporting requirements continues to evolve. The third one is uh, what I call sort of a move from competition to collaboration. So I think if you characterize the last sort of 10, 15 years, it, it, you know, competition has pervaded and competition has driven. That remains absolutely critical. But I think where we're heading, the, the scale and the enormity of what we're moving into is just, is huge. And I think to do that, there has to be an acknowledgement that to drive material change, you need a form of collaboration and partnership. And that partnership between can be between government, policymakers and companies, or it can be between companies looking to work out how they tackle and solve problems together. Again, I know Shell's done um, material steps to drive new partnerships to support the energy transition. And I think it's something that we're seeing evident across the sector, but also outside of sector as well, where some new innovative ways of working are really forming. 
Thank you so much, Katie and Vicky, for sharing your thoughts and insights. It's been such a fascinating discussion. And whilst I think, you know, there clearly are a lot of challenges ahead, um, it's never been a more exciting time to be part of the sector. Um, and it's one I, I greatly enjoy working in. Um, so thank you both again for, for joining me today. As I said, it's been fascinating to get your thoughts and insights. Um, there's much more we could dig into around each of the areas discussed today. And I'm sure we'll explore some of these themes in more detail in future Innovation and Energy podcast episodes. Um, so it just remains for me to say a huge thank you to you, to all of our listeners. Please do rate and subscribe. Keep up to date with the latest episodes and we look forward to seeing you next time.